feel a little bit like the prodigal come home. Wonderful to be back with uh, so many good friends and see John and Dawn again to hang out with Daniel and Heidi and Avril. And, uh, the, and by the way, uh, Ken with me. Ken's the director of our ministries and leads the staff and does so much for us back at the church in Nashville, which is our home, uh, Christ Community Church. This is Ken's very first visit to the United Kingdom. Oh, I know, that's right. So, so his, his level of sanctification is increasing as, as he makes this journey. So, you know, have a go at him. Make sure that, uh, you know, it's, it's baffling for all of us who are Americans when we, we first come over. It's all, it's all confusing. Um, when, <laughs> when I first came over, oh gosh, it was just after the Great War. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, w I, I was 19. It was long ago. I had hair. And... Um, uh, I didn't, I didn't know how to speak with people. They were saying things I didn't understand. There were names I didn't understand. I'd never heard names before like, like, like Nigel. It's not an American name, is it? You know, no one in America is named Nigel or, or, or Trevor or something that just, we don't have those names. We're Bob. You know, Frank, that kind of stuff. No Nigels, no Trevors. And so I met this fellow, and, and this guy was, uh, this was in Oxford, and he's, he's, he's it wanted to introduce me to his friend. His name, his name was Nigel. And, uh, and so he introduced me, he says, this is my mate, his name's, his name's Nigel. And uh, I was like, what? <laughs> what? And uh, he says, his name's Nigel. And I said, well, it's nice to meet you, Nigel. And he <laughs> Not Nigel! Nigel! I said, and this other fellow who was with me, he goes, Nigel. I went, ah. So I said, well, it's nice to meet you, Nigel. He goes, that's right, Nigel! So it'll take us a little while, and if I kind of fumble along here at times, it's because I've backslidden into American forms of communication. But perhaps, by the end of the morning, I'll have recovered my wits. So I'm going to read to you from Mark chapter 2 in, oh, the first 12 verses or so. Surely, one of the most precious ways that Jesus is described to us is the great physician. And perhaps at the end of our, our time this morning, we might pray for people. We might pray for healing. For Christ is a great physician. And he comes to heal every aspect of who we are. And perhaps nowhere is that more clearly seen than in this passage, in Mark chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, it says, When Jesus had come back to Capernaum, Several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so much so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. So imagine an overcrowded home meeting. They're gathered around the scriptures. Christ is there, present with them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic 
carried by four men. And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which this paralytic was lying. So they've dug a hole in the roof. If you've been to the Middle East, if you've been to Israel, you've seen these flat-roofed homes, and uh, they've dug a hole in it. I can't imagine being the homeowner on such an occasion. That's a home group that's gotten out of hand, isn't it? <laughs> well, they're digging a hole in my roof, and now a man is coming down through it. That wasn't in the worship folder for this morning. They let the man down on the pallet, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They were, of course, right. Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed. And we're glorifying God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. And this is the word of the Lord. Oh, there was a couple thanks be to gods in there. Okay, all right. A couple of folks there. You know, one of the things uh, to ponder in this passage is, and it's one of my favorite parts of the story, are these four friends, these four unnamed friends. We don't know anything more about them except this, that they were willing to carry a friend to Jesus. What a remarkable group of people. You know, there's a great difference between a congregation and an aggregation. An aggregation is just a group of people who may happen to meet together because they have a common interest, and they come together, and they may cheer for their football side, or as would be the case for me this year, mourn for my football side. Come on, you gooners. Um, <laughs> so um, whether you're cheering or mourning, you're there all together and singing the songs and waving the flags, but then you go, and you don't really have any particular relationship after you go. But a congregation is not a crowd gathering to cheer. A congregation is a community of people that have been gathered together in such a way that they are joined to care for each other and to serve together. You are not an aggregation. You're a congregation. You're a community of people who've been brought together by God's sovereign purpose, you probably would not have chosen each other. I mean, look around, <laughs> right? These are the people you'd have chosen as your friends. 
your covenant partners in this mission and in this journey? Maybe, maybe not. But God has brought you together. And in God's plan, what we do is what these four friends are doing. They're not named. I'm glad they're not named because in a certain way, these four friends are all of us. And so is the fifth friend, the fifth friend on the pallet. Because here's the truth. At some point in our life, every single one of us will be the fifth friend on the pallet. We may appear strong. We may appear to have it together. We may appear to be those who don't have any problems. But sooner or later, God in his mercy will bring us to a place of profound brokenness where we no longer have control where the myth of control in our lives is broken and shattered. And we find ourselves unable anymore to move. And if we're even going to move towards Jesus, someone else is going to have to carry us there. Have you been carried by others? I know many of you have. But here's the wonderful thing. Not only will each and every one of us at certain seasons in our lives find ourselves carried by others, we will be given the great privilege of carrying others, our friends, to Jesus. We are a community of people who've been given this mission. Here's the first part of the mission. To bring people to Jesus. Now, they were bringing him for what they perceived to be his greatest need, which, as far as they could tell, was physical healing. There was no, after all, social network under which this man lived. He could not be caught, as it were, by a network that would care for him, minister to his health. This man was reduced to begging he was impoverished. He had nothing. But here is a man who's also in some ways rich because he had these friends. They wanted him well. They knew he needed this kind of healing, which they'd heard that this man Jesus could bring. And so they brought him. And when they couldn't get in the room, they didn't take no for an answer. They weren't the kind of people to go, oh, well, we can't get in today. It's too bad. <laughs> these are the kind of friends who ripped roofs open. You need a few roof-ripping friends in your life. The kind of people who won't take no for an answer. Oh, we can't get in? No problem. Now listen, they've just carried the man. Now they've, they're not only carrying him, they're going to lift him onto a roof. Imagine yourself the man on the pallet. What are you doing? They're carrying him up on the roof, then they begin digging it open. And all that debris begins to fall down in the middle of the room. And then here comes down the man in front of Jesus. They want him healed. But Jesus does something extraordinary in this moment. He looks at this man, and Jesus knows that there's something of healing that this man needs, which is far more profound than any physical healing he could ever have. He says to him the words which every human person needs to hear from Jesus. He says to him, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Because the greatest healing that every human soul needs is the word from Jesus 
of sonship. Son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. When God calls you son and forgives your sins, that is the word that every single human soul needs. I want to remind you of something very basic today. Some of you have been believers for many, many years. Some of you have grown up in the church. You can't even remember a time perhaps that you weren't a Christian. That's okay. I know some people think you have to know the day and you have to know the hour, the moment where you met Christ. And if you do, that's great. Um, I used to tell my dad, he was, because he didn't know the day or the hour, he was going to hell. That helped our relationship immensely. <laughs> oh, thank you, son. This was all happening when I was at the zenith of my wisdom around the age of 15 or so. Dad, you're going to, you don't know the day or the hour. And this went on, you know, for some time. I was, you know, full of a lot of zeal and not much wisdom. A lot of, lot of fire, not a lot of light. And, um, and, <laughs> and finally my dad looked at me one day and he said, I don't need to know what time dawn was to know the sun's up. And that was the end of that discussion. He said to me, you know, some people have halogen bulb conversions. And some people have dimmer switch conversions. So some of you may have had, boom, the lights come on, bright and blinding. Others of you, the light may have very slowly come up. That's all right. The issue is just knowing the light's on. And knowing that when God looks at you, he calls you son. Son, my child. You see, Paul writes in the Romans, and he says, he says, the Spirit of God is in us, the Spirit of adoption. All of my children are adopted children, but I couldn't love them any more than if you've ripped them out of my side. They are ours legally. They were born in another household, but they are ours. You and I were born the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. We were in Adam. But we've been born again. We've been adopted and declared God's own children. And the Bible says that God's put the spirit of adoption in our hearts by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That word Abba is a word that's intimate and near. It's a, it's a term of endearment. We don't say, Mr. God. There's all that kind of official talk, you know, in religion. And it's sometimes endearing in certain ways, you know, but it can be a trap. And um, we have to watch out for the insidious effects of the kind of thing that distances God from us in the name of religion. Religion will always try to create impediments and barriers between you and God. The Holy Spirit will tear down impediments and barriers and bring you into a place of nearness with God where he becomes Abba. I got a very good introduction to what this word Abba means. It's very similar in English to Papa. Papa, it's a very informal term. Very informal term. It happened when I was on an El Al flight from New York to Tel Aviv. Now, I have to tell you, I'm confessing my, my sins here, I don't travel well. I'm a grumpy traveler. And that was before all the TSA and security stuff came in. I'm even, I'm far worse now. All my demons come out to play as soon as you hand me a boarding pass. And this is especially true when I get into a flight and I see that there are children involved. 
I've always believed that there should be a special section of the plane that was only for children with their own security guards, and there were, they would lock them behind a gate so the rest of us could sleep and get on with things, especially in these great transatlantic and transpacific flights that we make. Well, I'm on this flight to Tel Aviv, and there was a child on there, a little Hebrew child, and he's running up and down the aisles of this 747. He's doing laps. He looked like he was in training, and he's going round and round the place, and he's yelling, Abba, 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 Abba. And I'm like, can you get the kid under control? It's a little Jewish kid. I mean, I wanted to kill his dad. I mean, can you get the kid under control? Have you never read Proverbs? It's in your half of the book. Come on, man. Come on. Hit the kid. Like I I'm just confessing my sins. Abba, 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 Abba. So while I'm moaning and groaning and being very spiritual, <laughs> I hear the Holy Spirit speak to me. Well, I'm a Presbyterian. I really can't say that. I should say I thought. <laughs> it occurred to me. <laughs> the Lord said, I wish you were as excited about saying Abba to me as he is to his dad. Abba, Abba, Abba. The Holy Spirit comes to us and says, we're the children of God. The Holy Spirit convinces us that we're God's children. What does that mean? It means our sins are forgiven. You see, this is the impact of, here's an old word, you may have heard of it, the gospel. That's a forgotten word, I'm afraid. The gospel. The good news. Let me, let me emphasize it. The gospel is not good advice about what you are supposed to do for God. The gospel is good news about what God has done for you. That God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself, not counting our sins against us. Religion will continue to stack up all of our sins before us. But God rips that all down and says, no, your sins are forgiven you. This is nothing that you have done. You and I today are not forgiven people because of anything in us or anything we've done. No, our forgiveness, our standing in God, our sonship, is not based on anything we have done, but on everything that Christ has done. And when he died on the cross, he did not say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. It is paid in full. It is taken care of. Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, friends, we can never forget this. Listen, you have fashioned what a colleague we know in the United States named Tim Keller in New York City would call a gospel ecosystem. You have a whole variety of ministries that nourish and feed each other, and it's centered around the church and church planting. It's beautiful and wondrous to behold. That should be continually encouraged. But we must never forget that it all does begin with the church preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel so that people come to faith. You know, friends, there are many things a church may do but there is one thing a church must do, and only the church can do, 
And that's preach the gospel of Jesus in the world. We may feed the hungry. We may heal the sick. We may educate the unlearned. We may clothe the naked. And we must do all of those things as testimony to who Jesus is. But, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's the power of God to salvation. And so before Jesus heals this man, he heals the most important aspect of who he is. He heals his immortal soul. Son, your sins are forgiven you. Because no matter how well your body ever gets, you know one day, no matter how much training and dieting you do, no matter how much plastic surgery you get, you're going to die. I hate to break it to you. You're going to die. I still feel 18 in my heart. And then I pass in front of a mirror. Oh, my. <laughs> Our outer man is decaying, Paul says. But our inner man is being renewed day after day. And it's that inner man that does have to be dealt with. We really do have to learn to value and treasure that. C.S. Lewis, preaching at St. Mary's Church in Broad Street in Oxford, preached a wonderful sermon, The Weight of Glory. If you've never read it, I hope you will. And in it, he talks about the fact that you have never met a mere mortal. You've never met an ordinary person, that every single human person is a creature who, one day, if we met them, would be either someone looking like a being, which if we were to meet them now, we would be tempted either to worship or to flee away from in horror. And, he said, how we treat each other right now is helping every person we know to one of those two destinations. Can I ask you a question this morning? What is your destination? Where are you going? What kind of eternal life will be yours? Jesus said to a man who needed everything physically, he addressed everything spiritually, first of all. Son, your sins, they're forgiven you. They began to grumble about Jesus' words, about his words of healing, because he was healing his soul. And then Jesus said, what's, what's more difficult to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? Now the answer to that question is this. Your sins are forgiven. Because there have been many people who healed in Israel's past. But no one had forgiven except God. That was difficult. How could this man forgive? You know, when Jesus healed the man, it was to show that he had the power to forgive sins. You know, when healings occur in the Bible physically, they are a sign and a wonder. Signs are things which always point beyond themselves. They are not the thing itself. They point beyond themselves. If you're driving down a, a motorway and you're in the middle of the countryside and you see a big sign that says Sheffield and you get out, you don't go, well, I thought it was bigger. 
<laughs> the, sign, <laughs> the sign is just saying, you're on the right track. Keep going. Keep moving that direction. The sign points beyond itself to the thing. The healing that, that occurs in the New Testament, these physical healings that occur, point beyond themselves. They point beyond to the fact that the great physician will touch every aspect of who we are. God, in saving us, became one of us. There is no aspect of who we are that is left untouched by God's mission in sending Jesus. It's called the Incarnation. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus became one of us. God became one of us. And he became one with us. And this means that there is no aspect of who we are as human persons which is left untouched by the scope of Jesus' redemption. And what he does is what these four friends do. Because ultimately, within a very short time after these events that we've just read about in Mark's Gospel, Christ will go to the cross. And he will carry us there. Can I just say to you this morning that when I was talking earlier about four friends who would carry you, and maybe you kind of thought, I think I know who my four friends are. Maybe a couple of you thought, I'm not sure I have four friends. You know, loneliness is a problem. I think there's even a minister for loneliness now in the cabinet here. It's a real issue. And maybe you were thinking, I'm not sure I've got four friends. I tell you this morning, you have a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. And Christ carried us. Where did he carry us? The scriptures say he carried us to his cross. Peter is the one who is really behind Mark's gospel. Mark is writing down, according to Christian tradition, Peter's preaching. That's what Mark's gospel is. Peter's recollections of Jesus' life and ministry, his messages about Jesus, that's what Mark's gospel is. And Peter, reflecting on those remarkable moments when he knew Jesus, said that Jesus bore in his body on the cross our sins, and by his stripes, you finish it, we are healed. The great healing of the human person happens because Christ goes to the cross with all of our shame, with all of our sin, with our sickness, our death, with every aspect of our brokenness that we can confess and admit to, Every single thing that we've ever done, he takes it all upon himself. Think about that for just a second. Oh, let's make it real. Let's just think about the sins in this row. <laughs> just, just these. Just these. How many of you would like to bear just these? <laughs> I'm glad I'm not bearing theirs. I know things. <laughs> oh, but the scriptures say that Christ is born not only this row, but <laughs> that row. Oh, my goodness. And, and that one. And yours. 
He bore yours. He bore mine. And he took them completely to himself. He carried them. And he was laid down in death. And because of this, Peter writes, we have been born again to a living hope through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We have been born again. You know, sometimes people will say, tomorrow's another day. That's, the, that's what you need. You need a fresh start. But tomorrow's another day. Yes, you've made terrible mistakes. Forget about them. Don't worry about it. Tomorrow's another day. The sun will come up tomorrow. Sing along. <laughs> but you know, for Peter, that didn't work. Peter said to Jesus, I'll never deny you. And then Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows in the morning, you'll deny me three times. And he did. Peter denied even knowing Jesus. Every time the sun came up, it didn't offer Peter a fresh start. It offered Peter a fresh reminder of his failures. My friend, you can, you can erase your web browser, but you can't cleanse your conscience. Only Christ can do that. Oh, yes. As the old proverb says, dance like nobody's watching and email like it'll be read aloud in a deposition. Oh, there's a record. You may think it's all secret, but it's not. Who can deal with the secret things? Who can deal with all the things we think we've got so cleverly hidden? We know we need a fresh start. Jesus said to one of Peter's compatriots, a man named Nicodemus, you need a new birth. Now, you might think, well, a new birth, a new start. Yes, that's for all the, the broken people, all the shattered people, all the people who really have problems. But I don't know if you've noticed or not, Pastor. I'm together. But when Jesus said, you must be born anew, the person he said that to was a man who was, in our terms, in our terms, a person with city wealth, a person with Downing Street connections, a person with Oxbridge firsts, a person with Lambeth Palace influence. He was a person familiar with the corridors of power. He was not somebody anyone in that culture would have looked at as needing a new start. And Jesus said to that person, you must, not you need, you must be born again. The greatest healing that can ever occur for anyone is what happens to this man who's lowered down in front of Jesus and he says, son, your sins are forgiven you. He says it to him personally. So here's my question to you. Has Jesus spoken to you personally? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Or are you just hoping they are? Do you know God as Abba, as Papa? Or is he still the distant God, the far off God? Do you know him personally? I want you to know God personally, and I want your soul to be healed. I want you to know that you have eternal life. Yes, there's a need for psychological healing, for spiritual healing, for physical healing, but the greatest healing we all need is a relational one, where we're brought by the Holy Spirit back to God, and we know we are His. 
we know our sins are forgiven. Let's pray for that this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you are the great physician. The great physician. And I do pray, Lord, for all those sitting here this morning who would long to be able to cry, Abba, to have God near. For all those who are sitting here today with broken hearts. But you came to heal the brokenhearted. Lord, for all those who are sitting here wondering about sins being forgiven, maybe thinking the sins were so great that you might not forgive them. But Lord, your work on the cross is greater than all our sins. And so we pray that in each of these cases, you would come now by your spirit and speak to hearts. You who bore our sins in your body on the tree, you by whose stripes we are healed, you are here. You are here in this place to speak words of life and wholeness into the lives of these, your people, to call them your children. Come, Lord. Do that now, we pray. Just listen to the Lord. Let him speak to you right now. Hear him say to you, Son, your sins are forgiven. My daughter, your sins are forgiven. Rise and be healed. Rise and be healed. I want to pray for you this morning, all who need that wholeness. He said to this man, rise and be healed. If you know you need healing, whether it's for your soul or your body, whether it's to know your sins are forgiven, or even if you know your sins are forgiven, but you know there's an area of brokenness in your life that only God can heal, I'm going to ask you to do what that man did right now. I'm not going to call you forward. But I'm going to ask you to do what he did, which is rise. I want you just to stand where you are. I want to pray for you to be made whole. If you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you and saying, I need to be made whole. Isn't that beautiful? That's wonderful. Now, if there's, there are those standing near you, would you just put your, your, your hand on them? I can't heal anyone, but I know a guy. I know someone who is a great physician. Let's pray for them. Would you just pray for those standing there? Lord, now, bring your healing, we pray. Bring healing to bodies. Bring healing to souls. Bring healing to marriages. Bring healing to relationships between parents and children. Lord, repair the breaches. Lord, restore the broken places. Lord, where there's sexual brokenness, bring wholeness. Where there's physical brokenness, bring wholeness. Where there is psychological brokenness, bring wholeness. Where there is doubt and fear, bring assurance. Let the spirit of adoption begin to be at work in every heart so that everyone begins to cry out, Abba, Father, and God is near. This we pray. Be healed through the stripes of Jesus. Through the stripes of Jesus and in his name, be healed. Amen. 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 Thanks be to God.
I'm going to hand back over to your leaders. Thank you, brothers and sisters.